This is a special interview I've been wanting to do for a while. I finally got a hold of them. Finally, we were able to get some time together. I'm going to introduce James Boyd from the Indie Star today, uh, the new beat writer replacing J. Michael, which, big shoes to fill, but if anybody can do it, it's this guy. He is so phenomenal. Coming up from Northwest Indiana, the newspaper's up there. You do not want to miss this interview and why the sky may or may not be falling. Played by Westbrook. Ginobili for three. Yes! One point lead for San Antonio. Terry, a long three. Bang! Jason Terry gives the Mavericks a seven point lead with 33 seconds remaining. Rebound on Simmons bringing in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh my goodness. Good morning, everybody. I am joined by James Boyd, the new beat writer for the Indiana Pacers. And uh, I actually read your intro article this morning. I was intrigued by where you came from and I actually had former teachers from the University of Illinois, and I was like, huh, interesting. So Indy Star reaches out to you to replace Jay Michael. Those are some big shoes to fill. Yeah, for sure, man. And he was gracious enough to kind of uh, hit me up after I announced it, actually before I announced it. And when I did, um, I had a chance to talk to him once. And, you know, you're thinking, hey, it's Jay Michael. He's, he's a big time guy. And He'll probably give me like 10 minutes to talk to him about the job. We talked for an hour. Um, oh, my goodness. Things. Yeah, yeah. He just kept going, and I was taking notes in true journalism fashion. Um, but he showed me a lot of grace. And, and even since then, and, um, I haven't talked to him personally, but just through Twitter, social media, he's been very supportive, as is everybody else. So everyone's just kind of encouraging me to be myself. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be myself always, but, you know, you can never learn too much from those who have done it before you. So it's trying to pick, you know, from everybody's brain and kind of steal from them a little bit, like a player would, I guess. You want to steal from people's games and abilities and, and things like that and kind of make it your own. So that's the goal. That's been the plan so far. And, and so far, it's been fun. It's been crazy. It's been wild. Um, a lot of games, a lot of things happening and going on, but I'm very satisfied with the, the, the opportunity that I have to cover the team. It's crazy, too. The Pacers have, I'm pretty sure, played more games than anybody in the league at this point. I think they're at like 23, 24 tonight, you know, which feels like they're playing at an unreal pace of games. Like, I think, you know, last week we had seven in 10 days, which was, you know, crazy to me. And then you look around the league, some of these teams only played 19. And it's so weird. But do you have any... You know, obviously the Minnesota game was a loss, but do you have any other fun stories? You know, I know you've been to Chicago already, and, like, I love the United Center. Awesome place to see a game, concert, all that. Do you have any uh, fun stories from any of your trips so far? So, before I go get into, like, trips, I'll say for the last game against um, at home against Giannis and the Bucks. Oh, uh, so, the way they do media after the game, 
you know, they, you know, obviously I'm the Pacers beat writer, so I got to go to the Pacers first. But if, you know, if they wrap up, you can, you can go to the, the visiting uh, media and try to like, you know, ask a question or anything like that. So uh, obviously, you knew Giannis was there. And unlike, I got a chance to ask LeBron and Russell West a couple questions earlier that week. So, I, uh, or last week, and I go to, uh, you know, try to talk to Giannis and we, I got there late and me and another uh, intern guy, Andy, uh, for the Indy Star. And we walk in and Giannis goes, oh, there you, go, there you guys are. And I'm like, oh, like, sorry, man, you know, I'm a little late. And, you know, I didn't get to ask him a question, but he's like the super happy-go-lucky, chill. Obviously, they have won the game, so he hasn't really, really be upset. But I feel like Giannis is probably, like, maybe the easiest superstar to kind of talk to because he's not going to, like, you know, kill you if you ask a question that he doesn't like. Yeah. You know, Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, he'll shut you down. Like, you know, in true Russell Westbrook fashion. Um, but as far as the trips, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, figuring out, how to get into the arenas. Like, that's like the biggest thing. Like, you know, you'll get emails from the team and sometimes after like remind the teams, they'll send you the stuff uh, that's for media, but it's all for their team. And I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to Chris Finch before the game for the Minnesota Timberwolves, but I asked Rick Carlisle, so when's he available? What room is he in? And I think the, the coolest thing is probably seeing the players interact with each other, like, you know, in the locker room or in the hallway. And in the locker room, we're not allowed in there, but in like the hallway leading up to the locker room. A lot of these guys know each other and things like that. So you can hear them chopping it up or, or clowning around or having some fun with it. So it's been pretty fun so far. I don't have like any like one moment that probably sticks out, but I will say going to the United Center and, you know, growing up in the Chicago area. And uh, I guess I was sitting, I was sitting right behind Casey Johnson. So I had some uh, people text me and say, hey, man, I saw you on TV. Not because, you know, it's me on TV because I was in like that little pocket you know, where you could see behind Casey Johnson and introduce myself to him. He's a super down to earth guy as well. So it's been surreal to like meet some of these players, interview them. And even like on the Pacers, like interviewing Sabonis, one of the best big men in the world. But also on the flip side, you know, you're meeting some of these journalists who are, who are really, really good at this too. So um, I've been gracious enough most of the time, you know, when I've had a chance to talk to them to give me some advice and give me some tips. So it's been fun. It's been a whirlwind, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I remember working for the uh, Evansville, University of Evansville radio station, and they gave us tickets to the Pacers preseason game in Evansville. Um, and after the game, we went and hung out at the casino down there. And that was where I met Paul George, Giannis, and like all these other like athletes um, back in 2016. I met Greg Monroe. I met like, you know, all these really cool people who I've, always kind of looked at but like oh man like and, and seeing them in that setting is like so much different like seeing them come game time because you know I've talked to CJ McCollum before game and he is in the zone like he is 100% focused on that but then outside of it if you catch CJ McCollum he's like really down to earth really like laid back really cool about everything Here's my big thing with the Pacers. Obviously, they've had their struggles early, and the sky feels like it's falling. <laughs> but you have kind of an insider look at who they are. Do you think the sky is falling, or should I be less worried about the team? I don't think the sky is falling. However, I do think that they can't catch a break. Um, I think – there's been a lot of games this year where they've lost them in close games. I believe they're, they've lost an NBA high, like seven games by four points or less. I think a lot of that comes down to, do you have a guy who can just kind of put you over the top in certain situations? 
they don't really have that caliber of a player. And as some of the respects to Sabonis or Malcolm Brighton, who's also a great player, they don't really have a dude. You know, sometimes in sports you need dudes. They don't have a dude to put them over the top. So the close losses are, are, are definitely, a, I guess, you know, a sign of, of weakness in the team and, and something to be concerned about. I don't think this guy is falling, though, mainly because, and I, I'm sorry to, you know, to, to reiterate this and probably aggravate some Pacers fans, but it's like they can't get healthy. I mean, we just, you know, a lot of us just announced it yesterday and, you know, tweeted out, I tweeted out my story about it. And, and Justin Holiday, you know, had been playing well, shooting the ball well, and now he's out, you know, um, in, in the NBA's COVID protocols. And I don't know if he's vaccinated or not. Can't speculate about that. However, um, what I can say is he's asymptomatic, which is a good sign, you know, if you're trying to come back sooner rather than later. Um, but again, like, this is a guy who hadn't missed a game in, you know, however long, and then now he's out. So it's like, of all people to miss a game, Justin Holiday. Are you kidding? So, I mean, I can see where fans will get frustrated and things like that. But at the same time, you also have to look at just the, the factor of they cannot find a rhythm because of injuries, um, the pandemic, whatever you want to call it. It's just a really weird time for them. And I, and I know it's been a kind of a theme these last few years, but uh, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not really singing into it so far. And even like Karis LeVert, he played great Sunday against Milwaukee, had a season-high 23 points. He think it was 9 of 14 shooting. And then he comes back and, you know, on the back-to-back at Minnesota, and he looked like a completely different player. Um, 3 of 14 from the field, I believe, 9 points. So he really struggled on the second half of the back-to-back. But also, he's working his way back from a, from a stress fracture in his back. So, I mean, there's always so many factors. And, and, and I hate to, you know – admit that that those are point you know I, I wouldn't want to use those excuses but they're valid reasons in my opinion why that team maybe isn't performing up to their level however I do think that and maybe I'll ruffle some feathers here they had a six game home stretch starting you know you know Wednesday night here and, and I don't know when you're going to post this so I'll say Wednesday night here against Atlanta if this six game if they're not able to like I would say get about at least three or four of these games at home. Then you can probably say the sky is falling because I think at that point, the playoff hopeful play in tournament, I think that becomes such a a stretch, honestly. And I get it. It's a long season. Um, It's about a quarter of the way through. However, at some point you got to find your footing because even though it is the Eastern conference, the record doesn't have to be as great as like the Western Conference to get into the play-in or whatever, or even the, or even the playoffs. You got to start showing some signs of consistency uh, of something. And one thing I will say is they have defended better, but oh, again, yeah. you got to win some of these smoking games. Yeah, yeah. This home stretch, like we, I, you know, last night we recorded up until about twelve o'clock because we were watching the Duke and Ohio State games. So we were already, you know, juiced up for basketball and. This home stretch is rough. I mean, just Atlanta just went up, went rolled off seven. Miami, of course, has always had the Pacers number. I mean, even when I was four years old and the Pacers were winning 60 games, Miami was still beating the Pacers night in, night out. Um, obviously, Washington is seems to be the real deal this year. Uh, I discounted them. I thought they were going to be horrible. And then you know, everybody's kind of flipped the switch for them. And then you get New York, Dallas, and Golden State. <laughs> for a six-game home stretch, that's rough. 
I, I personally, I said they need to win four of these to really, you know, keep in the hunt because I think four games puts them two games under 500. You can really, at this point, three games under 500. You can really kind of, you know, see the future a little bit. With this yeah, team, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I just think that four is like, that's probably the number, but it's also like really hard. Cause you're looking at, and then again, like I said, we're talking about teams that have dudes, you know, Steph is a dude, Luke is a dude, um, Trey Young is a dude. So I'm interested to see how the team kind of rallies around or maybe leans into being a team. And another thing to keep in, in mind also is I do believe if Miles Turner plays at Minnesota, they probably win. Oh, no, they win 100%. You know, they probably win that game. So um, we'll see what his health looks like. He does not have COVID. I can't confirm that. He doesn't have COVID or anything like that. So him and Justin Holiday, that's not a, you know, a, a, a joint thing. Um, so we'll see if Miles can go uh, tonight, this Wednesday night. But again, you got to start rattling off some wins here if you want to give yourself a shot. And then and, and, and at the end of the day, those wins, if you look at the schedule, they're going to have to come against some of these, these better teams. You're going to have to figure out a way to just get it done. So I'm excited for it. I think that Miles certainly changes the dynamic of the team when he's available, the first game he missed all season. And fittingly, the game against Milwaukee was the first game all season he didn't have a block. So I don't know, like, if he was feeling bad even in that game or just some lucky or unlucky coincidence. But we'll see how they respond. But I think this is when you kind of see, like, even if – Things don't go how they want them to uh, as far as winning and losing. I'm very interested to see how, like, the team just their overall fight, want to, desire, because, like, we just talked about, you know, on this on, right here on the podcast, this is a, in my opinion, the six game home stretch, and probably in your opinion too, is a huge point in the season to kind of figure out what your future is going to look like. Cause, I mean, if it starts to really get bleak around here, then, you know, trade deadline comes up and maybe we're having a different conversation about personnel on the team in the future. And I'm not a GM, don't know who could trade for who, but um, I think that there could be some serious conversations about what you have and if that's enough to just keep this thing going or if you want to run it back with the same group. I'll just ask you bluntly, do you think there's a move they need to make or is there a player out there who's maybe had some grumblings early, like, you know, a Marcus Smart or Buddy Heald, where, like, teams are kind of already imploding, wanting to sell off these pieces. Is there a move they need to go out and make, like, now so they can try to recover the season? Or is it really waiting for T.J. Warren to see what he is? Is it waiting for Karras to be 100%, which who knows when that'll be because, you know, stress fractures suck. Everybody knows that. But, like – you're back. Like I, I know when, you know, my grandma just like burst a disc in her back, you know, she was out for weeks and I know a stress fracture is a little different, especially when you're a professional athlete, but I, you, you can't tell me like it doesn't affect you in some way. You know, that's the crazy thing there. So what do you think is a, is a team good enough to make the playoffs if they don't make any moves or they a move away or do they need to go out and do something? I think that if I'm being quite honest, if you don't start seeing some 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 signs of improvement, maybe if that's winning some of these close games or just winning in general, 
I think a move probably has to be made. Now, who that move would be, um, I've gotten access already. You know, is, is it Miles? Is it Sabonis? Is it, you know, you obviously can't, you can't move Malcolm. Um, you really just can't move people out there. Like it's not a matter of want to or whatever, just the way his contract set up, he cannot be moved this year. Um, so I personally think that you kind of have the wait and see game, see how everyone, you know, hopefully, you know, rounds into form as far as their health. But if I had to, like, just say, like, right now, today, looking at the way this roster is constructed, um, assuming that I don't I, – not, not even in a rude way, I don't really count T.J. Warren when I look at the health just because he's been out the entire year and he hasn't really been in the rotation. Even if he does come back, then the, the, the comeback isn't just he's inserted to the lineup, he's going to pay 20 minutes. Like, it's, it's kind of get ramped up. And, you know, we're already a quarter through the season, so we have to see – you know, what that would look like, but not counting him. If this team isn't like close to 500 by the time that, you know, the, the trade deadline rolls around, I believe that at some point a move has to be made because I mean, I'm not a huge Pacers guy before I got the job, but I did know that their thing is kind of to be, you know, not really great not really bad. And when you're not really great or you're not really bad, that's almost the worst place to be in, in the NBA, because you can't really get better. If you're like a smaller market team, you know, like no one's going to come, no, no disrespect, but I don't foresee any big time free agents coming to Indiana. So it's like, and I respect them for not like bottoming out and just completely tanking and get a high draft pick. However, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I kind of think of fans when I think about stuff like, like, would you rather be this mediocre team every year or would you rather, you know, swing big and miss or swing big and, and, and hit it or, or try to do something to kind of change the narrative that's around the team? Because right now it's just like tough, gritty, but, you know, won't go very far if they make the playoffs. And that's, you know, that's a label nobody wants. Yeah, and, you know, it's always been – the pacer way never to just completely throw it in um and we've hit on some of our like mid-round first round picks right we've had your miles turner at 11 obviously duarte looks really good for pick 13 this year um even paul george who i think was picked eight nine ten somewhere in that range you know still lottery but not you know that top five where right. you get your guarantees or guarantees we'll put them in quotes there it's always been weird to me and the roster makeup is so strange um I feel bad for players like Goga who are trapped where it's like well they just you know they gave you another extension on your team option but you also what you played in six games this year you know so I don't really know what the moves are obviously fans are clamoring for something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not a GM, not the team president. Uh, that's a little above my pay grade, but I do think um, these questions from fans, from from anyone, are valid when you look at just the product on the floor. I mean, you went so they've lost seven games by four points or less. You win three or four of those games, you're at about 500. Um, you know, if not 500, and it's a different yeah. narrative right now but that just lets you know the margin i love talking about this and even in any sport really just in life like the margin between like success and failure sometimes is literally this 
And that's what it's been for the Pacers this season. If they win some of those close games um, and, and don't have an NBA high seven games by four points or less, um, and when, you know, I think they had two overtime losses and, and win those overtime games, or at least win one of them, again, we're having a different conversation here on this fine Wednesday morning. Yes, but sir. That's not how it goes, man. That's, that's the NBA. It's hard to win. Um, Carlisle's mentioned it a lot. And then also there's a lot more parity in the league. Like, you know, I know Golden State just had their winning, uh, not winning streak, but they, uh, you know, they went up against the Suns and the Suns extended their winning 17 games and they're really hot. But I don't think that when you look around the league, there's like one juggernaut that you can absolutely say for sure, you know, they're going to be there at the end holding the trophy. I mean, it's kind of been like that the last few years. I know a lot of LeBron teams and obviously the Curry with Durant teams were, were like that. But, um, you know, ever since the Bucks won, which is a, a weird year just because of the, you know, you know, shortened season and injuries and things like that. No, take nothing away from them. They played great. And Giannis was, I mean, at 50 points in a closeout game in the finals. But there isn't, in my opinion, one team you look at that you just can, like, just bet the house on and say they're going to win it all. And that makes it hard to win it because – Every night there's a team, even if they, their record isn't that great, they pretty much have someone that can, uh, you know, make it interesting or give you a, a hard time. I mean, looking at Minnesota, they're, they're in, they, their record isn't that great. They're, they're a game above 500. But then when they played the Patriots, they got three guys who can go get a bucket. And that's kind of why they won. And, and, I mean, obviously there were some technical fouls, a lot of emotions and things like that. But. I mean, it's it's a hard league to win when you look at the like some of these rosters and you can like go, okay, he's you know he's an all star, he's all NBA, you know he's all defense. So it's it's fun in that sense. Um, so we'll see where it goes. It's also crazy that there are like literally twenty four teams right there sniffing the playoffs or playing. You know, I, I'm not buying Oklahoma City's kind of interesting start. I'm not really buying the Spurs or anything like that, but. You know, the Kings on up out West, anybody can make it, you know, who knows with injuries and how that's all going to break. And then, you know, the Pacers up in the East, you know, Philly's the ninth seed. (laughs) And coming into the year, everybody was like, Philly could easily be the one seed again just because of how good Embiid is. And it's like, that's what's crazy this year. And this is really the first year in a long time where it's felt like that, where like, Every team has a chance to beat anybody on any given night. For the longest time, superstars have driven this league. And while they still kind of do, you know, obviously Steph and uh, Kevin Rand, like the Bulls who like don't really have a superstar. They just have three extremely good players and an underrated one in DeRozan, you know, because everybody was low on him when mm-hmm. he traded for him. And he looks like the MVP of the league. So it, I love this type of basketball. I think it's like the best time uh, to be a fan, but not when your team is one of the ones who's struggling <laughs> to compile wins. I got one last question here. Um, I have a Bulls fanatic on my podcast with me every week, and he has been clamoring for this uh, since we started. So now it's time to ask somebody who grew up in the Chicagoland area, should Kirk Heinrich's number be retired by the Chicago Bulls? Not a chance. No. No. <laughs> no. I mean, Captain Kirk, franchise leader, I believe, in three-pointers, um, you know, made, you know, they, they got rid of him, brought him back. 
you know, at the Glenwood at the number 12, like it's kind of etched in my memory. He was a very good role player, but no, he does not get his number retired. And 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 maybe that's a conversation, which I, I don't think it's a conversation from any team in the NBA. I don't think Kurt Heinrich's career really validates him being getting his number retired. It's okay to just say a player was really good and kind of keep that in your memory. Um, but we're talking about the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you know, and, and guys like Dennis Rodman, guys who are some of the greatest players ever, not, you know, a, a scrappy point guard who can shoot the three and knock down some shots. And no, his number should not be retired. Let's not even like entertain that. I hope you're, you know, if your friend is listening, no hard feelings, but that is asinine. Like, no, his number should not be retired. Like, could you imagine his number being up there next to like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and like, are you kidding me? No, not that, no, that's not Tony Kukoc, Hall of Famers. I'm sorry, but that's, that's a no. Um, however, they would are be really entertaining. Yeah. I mean, that would be, that would definitely have a lot of think pieces being put out there. A lot of hot takes, a lot of people, you know, going out there, is this your goat? You know, and, and they probably talking about Kurt Heinrich. So it's um it's a, it's a it, he was a good player but no and they're playing well though I will say the Bulls are a team that I think will have a lot to say in the East and one more thing I will throw out there as well is that now I don't mean like a Debbie Downer I just mean it's just reality COVID could have some implications as well I mean we just look at Justin Holiday is going to be out um I know for a fact tonight you know against the, the Hawks and we'll see if there it's more. LeBron's going to be out. You know, I read some stuff from, from Sham saying, or Shams, he was saying like, you know, LeBron's probably going to be out the, the full 10 days. which was like the COVID protocol, which means he's going to miss probably two or three games at least. And, you know, there, there's an uptick. I know I was reading a, a Woj report from ESPN where they're saying, you know, after having these rounds of tests, there's an uptick in breakthrough cases for COVID. So I know, you know, things are different now. Fans are back and, and there's a lot of testing and vaccination and stuff like that. However, you know, it's, it's not like we're out of the woods yet. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, it's reality. These things are going to happen, that it just doesn't affect, you know, a team or, or someone to, like seriously that's, that's trying to make a playoff push or in the playoffs, something like that. But it is something to keep an eye on because, I mean, again, could you imagine – LeBron missing a game when he when he feels healthy, you know. Even Justin Holiday, he probably doesn't miss. He's a regular human being who doesn't get tested, but he gets tested often and he's asymptomatic. And that found out he has COVID. So not I'm sorry, that's that back. I don't know. Um, or oh, actually, he he tested positive for COVID. I don't know if LeBron tested positive. Whatever they won't really say, but you know, just reading the tea leaves. If you're in the COVID protocols, something must have happened. So we'll see what, what how that goes. But being asymptomatic. And and not really even not knowing, not even knowing that you that you're I guess have this or that you're sick, is is a factor. So um, I'm just really hoping and praying that it's not to the point where we look back on this season and be like, oh, if this player hadn't you know wasn't in the protocol, this player you know was there. Because I mean, you're looking at even like you talking about Embiid and the Sixers being the nine seed, he missed a ton of games with due, due to COVID, and he was fully vaccinated. So. You know, it, it's just tough. Um, I hate, you know, even having these discussions. I've, I've got all my shots, I promise. I, I want to, you know, be there as much as anybody else. But um, it's an interesting factor in this season. But like you talked about, the parity in the league should be fun. Um, the Pacers, the sky's not falling. But 
you know, the way Gamebridge Fieldhouse is looking with all the construction, if they don't get it together, there, there might be some, some more, uh, I don't know, some, some more work to be done, uh, you know, with the team and the franchise. So we'll see, man. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to, you know, really be in the thick of it now. All of my, you know, road trips have been booked all the way through, through the year and early next year. So I should be, I told Rick Hall this the last week, I believe. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to be at every game in person. So I hope you like my face. So it, it'll be fun. And I'll try to keep bringing you all the best content, interacting with fans on Twitter. I can't do it as much as I would like to, you know, if I was just like not working the game. But, you know, you, I'm sure you see my tweets when I ask the Patriots fans how they're feeling. And I promise oh, yeah. I'll, I start off as like a joke, but I'll keep it going throughout the season just because I feel like it gives everyone a chance to kind of air their grievances. And um, it's just a fun thing to do. It kind of keeps it light. Oh yeah, I uh, yeah, and honestly, the people's responses to those are always hilarious because you know after a win, it's always like super excited and bubbly, and after a loss, it's like all hell's breaking loose. So exactly, the best time is always like, and I'll get responses after the game is over, but like that third quarter, like five minute mark, is always like the sweet spot because you got people saying like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this, or they're gonna win. You got people saying, oh, you know, don't set me up for, like, more misery. Um, but it's just fun to get those reactions. And it kind of reminds me that although this is my job, and it is a serious job to try to do the best that you can and write stories that really matter, um, it can't, you know, there, there's still time to have a little fun with it and kind of engage people in a different, less formal way. I know everyone, you know, has been reading my work to a certain extent and supporting me and supporting the team, and that's really cool. But at the same time, I never want to get, like, too big where all you ever see on like, you know, my Twitter feed is just my stories and never anything else or not, never any like, you know, one-off tweets and things like that. So I'll try to keep it as professionally unprofessional or informal <laughs> as I can. All right. One last thing for you, sir. Brag about your work. Where can people find it? Obviously in these star, you know, if they got the paper subscription, but you know, is there old work you want people to go read too? I mean, who knows? There's I a mean, lot of archives out there. Yeah. So I used to work for the Times of Northwest Indiana. Um, you can Google the Times of Northwest Indiana, James Boyd, and all my stuff will probably come up, my profile. I did a lot of high school and preps up in the region. Um, I kind of claim the region is my second home because that was my first place that gave me a shot to be a professional writer, and I loved it. Um, I honestly would have never left. to kind of just happened this way where you get an opportunity to – better yourself and I, I told the, the, the high schools that I covered it's kind of like if you got a chance to go division one if you got a chance to go pro wouldn't you take it in a sense so uh, I've yeah. kind of uh, had a, a crazy trajectory or crazy rise since then but that's where I started and then also you know so if you want to check that out I have a I actually have a, a, a article pinned to my profile right now where I was talking about just the intersectionality of being a black sports writer when the George Floyd you know murder happened and things like that um, you know, again, never pointing the finger, just kind of being real about, you know, my experiences, um, things that I think that are important in society and things like that. Uh, you know, the, the, hopefully there'll be a little more, some fun articles as well. I'll try to like balance it out with, you know, serious things. And, you know, I have my five things that I've taken away from the team so far, you know, check that out most recently. Um, I even had a story. I will say I'll push this because I feel like people are kind of, you know, discrediting, or maybe not even discrediting, just not really aware. Sabonis had one of the best games in NBA history. Time. Like, yeah, I mean, and like, <laughs> like, we're talking about a, a people who played James Naismith game that started with a peach basket. Like, we're talking about people who 
you know, are Hall of Famers. So looking at some of the guys who have had 25 rebound triple doubles, you know, you got Elgin Baylor, you got Will Chamberlain, who did it 37 times, which is like the most Will Chamberlain stat ever. And then you got Bill Russell and, and Wes Unseld and others or Unsled. So if you want to go, you know, read that story, please do. Um, I feel like Sabonis, um, fittingly, wasn't really excited about it because they had lost. He does, he's not a guy who doesn't who gets very excited even when they win. However, you know, if anyone out there sees Sabonis, make sure you uh, give him a thumbs up because that was a heck of a performance. He has all the scars on his arm to prove that he gets, you know, mauled down near the basket. And he still, again, had one of the best performances of my young journalist career. The best one I've seen so far. Um, and, and again, if you read that story, it'll kind of put it into perspective, the things he's done, because, I mean, he was doing stuff that hadn't been done in nearly 30 years or more. So it, it was a pretty cool performance to see, even in that Minnesota loss. And um, I would bet that if he's able to get, you know, 25 rebounds again here tonight, then they probably win that game. So we'll see. We'll see how they, they match up against Trey Young. I'm excited to see a couple of Trey Young bombs, but at the same time, you know, if they don't contain a few of those bombs, it could uh, it could get interesting here, here at Gamebridge Hillhouse. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, I know it is a weeknight, so there might not be as many fans, but uh, I'm always excited to see, you know, return games for coaches. So uh, anytime, you know, obviously Nate Bjorkren's already been here uh, as an assistant coach, and then I just I'm excited to see Nate McMillan. I know everybody wanted him out of town when he got fired, but I had so much respect for him. He's one of the coolest uh, individuals we've had here in our organization. So I want to thank you for joining me. I know it's early and I know you've got uh, some prep for tonight coming up. One last fun question here. What is the best place to eat in downtown Indianapolis? Oh, so. I'd have to say I went to um, – because I haven't been to so many places. People might, like, you know, think I'm crazy. Is it, is it Yard House? Is that the name of it? Or Yeah, Yard House. Yeah, that was a- pretty good. I enjoyed that one. I feel like it's, it's relatively affordable, not super crazy. You know, I haven't been to, like, some, you know, fancy, you know, fine dining place just yet. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, rolling the dough or anything like that. You got to – Got to keep things in perspective and use my air fryer pretty frequently. But um, Yard House is pretty good. Um, I've been there, I believe, once. Uh, I'll probably be back pretty soon just because I like that place, like the setup, like the feel of it. So if you've got a place, you know, any, anybody who wants to let me know as a new guy in Indy recommendations, feel free to, you know, tweet them at me, message them to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll make the rounds when I can and when I'm being a little too lazy to, to, to make dinner myself. <laughs> I say if you want somewhere that's, like, reasonable and you, like, uh, soul food, uh, yet in Indianapolis is awesome. Um, 10 bucks and you get like food for three days. It is awesome. See, so. see, now, now we're talking, see, this is yeah. stuff that I need from you, Zach. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a budget right now. I don't have the, 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 the means of the players. And one of the funny things about being a beat writer is everyone thinks like, Oh, you're traveling with the team and you're getting all these. Pr-. No, I am not traveling with the team. No, I got my no, own. You know, different things. It's a lot less glamorous than some people think. Although I still love it. I enjoy it. But no, I'm not on private jets. I'm not, you know, kicking my feet up with some champagne after uh, after they win with, you know, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. It is not that at all. But um, it's still fun nonetheless. Well, I can't thank you enough. It was awesome to uh, chat with you about this. 
hopefully we chat again in a couple of weeks and the team's doing better. Maybe, uh, you know, I know they don't have a Christmas game, but they do have another New Year's game and they always do well in those. And I'm always excited to see them play on New Year's Day at 3 p.m. So uh, thanks again. Have a wonderful day and enjoy the game tonight. I will see you there up in uh, the Turner's block section. So appreciate it, man. Absolutely.